We are on a mission, a mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst podcast, we dive into current events that are shaping how pharmacists approach their patients and their businesses. Fuel your passion for pharmacy one conversation at a time. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Key, president of Pioneer X. Today, I'm here with Josh and Marsha. Hi, I'm Josh Allen, vice president of clinical strategy. And I'm Marsha Bivens, director of marketing. Today, we're excited to be here with Richard Waith, president of VUCA Health and host of the RX Radio Podcast. Well, I'd love to share a, a super, you know, Jeff, as you know, I'm super excited to be here yep. uh, for the fir- for, first of all. So thank you all for having me on. And um, one thing I love to share, um, a, a funny story, I think a good way to maybe kick this off is, uh, so I'm a pharmacist down in Miami, right? Um, we have a, a I'm in Miami. very <laughs> multicultural uh, <laughs> environment down here, but I, I was working in a pharmacy uh, that was heavily um, a Hispanic population and uh, kind of forced me to learn Spanish, at least pharmacy Spanish. So like I can have a pretty decent conversation of only about someone's prescription <laughs> in a pharmacy, right? Um, so okay. I'm t- so I'm taking care. There's two people in line. Um, I'm taking care of one patient, only speaking Spanish, and you know, so I'm like, uh, you know, señora, you know, uh, tiene preguntas. Do you have any questions? You know, muchas gracias. You know, have a nice day. Um, but like, I had a legitimate good conversation in Spanish. Uh, the second customer coming up is a, a regular. Like I've known her for at least over a year, and she's just like, Richard, your Spanish is just has improved so much. Like you, you, like from when I first met you to now, like you're able to now speak, you can pronounce things properly. Um, let's call her Mrs. Gonzalez for sake of things. And she was just like, you know, I'm just so impressed with how you've been able to connect with your patients. And, you know, I'm happy that you've been here for the last year. And I was just like, Ms. Gonzalez, you speak English? <laughs> <laughs> this lady, for some reason, has just been like, well, I guess maybe she wanted to teach me Spanish or something, but you know, I was just like, man, you, this whole time you've spoken English and you've just only been communicating with me in Spanish. But anyway, so fun story about me in Miami and, and the journey down here. So I'm, I'm <laughs> nice. picturing Richard ordering food in a Mexican restaurant, like a real Mexican restaurant in, in, in Miami, but he's using like pharmacy Spanish. <laughs> so there's yeah. accidental butt creams and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have the enchilada with cream <laughs> applied twice daily. Yeah, no yeah. refills. <laughs> no, it's funny. My my wife is actually from El Paso, and her whole family is Mexican. And um, her grandparents pretend like they don't speak English very well. And yeah. I found out her grandpa actually understands a lot of English. When we were we were sitting around at Christmas one time, and we were just sitting around the table having a good time, and I hear her grandpa just like cracking up laughing because he's understood everything that's gone on i knew this guy for like three years before i knew that he understood every single word i said <laughs> that's awesome well, that's like marcia's daughter's taking uh, spanish and she's like i can't speak it <laughs> i can understand it i can read yeah. it can, but yeah yeah i can't speak it she's not getting can't the whole, whole whole speaking thing nope um although that's way harder with the whole zoom class i guess yeah well i mean i took spanish in high school and it you just, yeah. Although, yeah. really, you no, think no. with the whole Zoom thing, they should have just made it immersive, right? Get a teacher in Spain or get a teacher in Mexico to join in, right? Make it a. I don't think that'd make much of a difference. You don't think so? Well, I mean, 
when I worked in retail, I, my Spanish was okay because you have to. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like when you're in a 45 minute class in high school. Yeah. I can see where you could learn to listen. Cause even if it was immersive where the teacher didn't speak English, right. Didn't think you're still only learning to hear it. Right. And kind of understand, kind of get, Oh yeah, I get what <laughs> she's angry it's very <laughs> helpful you know? at a pharmacy because you have your team that's also speaking, you know, you have your technicians likely that also speaks both English and Spanish. So it really is kind of like the, the immersion technique of trying to learn a new language. So, yeah. All right. So, so Richard, for those people here who don't know you, um, just, just give us a little short about what you're doing today and, and then yes. we'll kind of hit a little background. Yes. So uh, today I am the uh, president of a company called Buka Health. Uh, we create medication education videos and uh, license that video out to health systems, uh, pharmacies, health plans. Um, and one of our flagship products is putting a QR code on uh, patients' labels that uh, give patients now access to video content. And uh, I'm also the host of RX Radio, a podcast that just interviews other pharmacists and um, learning about the different ways and pharmacists are having roles out in the industry and then kind of uh, personal here at home I have a seven-month-old that I'm uh, currently trying to figure out how to take care of um, <laughs> with my wife and um, uh, I, I love to snowboard at least once a year um, and, and I, I do that I want to say I do that today obviously but you know I kind of missed a year during the pandemic but hoping to get back out on the uh, out on the runs uh, in the next year or so. Richard I, I think we're spirit animals I have a, Are we? I have a three-year-old that I'm still trying to figure out how to keep alive, and I yes. also like to snowboard. Oh, okay, nice. Where, where, where at? Do you like to, you go? You only go to one place, or do you like to travel to different? Um, uh, I'm slope promiscuous, but mostly in Colorado. Um, okay. If you give me a shot, I'll I'll probably ski anything that you'll let me, including nice. the small hills and or drainage ditches. I'm from Texas, right? I'll, I'll ski whatever has snow on it and will allow me. Where are your favorite slopes? So I used to go at least once a year. I would try like, – oh, sorry. Every t- every year I would go, I would go to a different place. I always wanted to try somewhere new. Uh, about three years ago, I went to Park City, and it was the f- – like absolutely fell in love. It was the first time that I had like convinced my wife, like let's go back to this place. It was the first time we went back to it. And ever since then, I mean, it's, it's been my, my favorite place to go. Um, Park City uh, in Utah is, is amazing. But uh, Mammoth was pretty awesome in California as well. Um, uh, Snowbird was the most challenging, I would say, of slopes. Wow. Uh, so if anyone's looking for, like, I think a challenge, I, I think that's also on Utah. Um, but Park City, I would have to say, is my, is my favorite. There's some cute little three-year-olds on skis doing the runs. Like, for a family first time, it's really great for the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm seeing like on social media these these two year olds like just ripping it. I'm yeah, like, okay, the low yeah. center of gravity. Yeah, just, there's no falling to do. They just kind of fall. You know, they just kind of squat. Yeah, but they have yeah. the short legs, so pizza's a little harder. Yeah, I, I just I, I have to accept that it, it's easier for them, right? I just have <laughs> to I have to accept that. That makes me feel better. Yeah, my uh, yeah, my my first snowboarding experience. I went when I was like 21, I think, and I, I skateboarded when I was younger. And a friend of mine who'd grown up in skiing said hey man you you don't need lessons just jump on that was the worst idea yeah, that, yeah. of all time that gentleman is a liar yeah yeah, yeah liar. No. like we didn't speak for the rest of the day and there's like <laughs> i remember a point where i'm like i'm laying in the snow and like i'm still questioning whether or not i'm alive and this little kid probably five or six like comes up sprays me with snow and he's like 
you okay, bro? And I'd never felt more hurt in my ego in my entire life. <laughs> That'll hit your soul. Yeah. I was like, I'm definitely going to lay here and die now. Yeah. yeah. Snowboarding is so hard. I mean, just to learn it. I mean, I think it's one of those things where once you kind of get the hang of it, it, it becomes a lot easier. But I remember I had to go to, I went to sport that my, after my first day, I immediately went to sports authority because I played football when I was younger and I knew that they sell those things where you can just wrap around your like tailbone protection, hip protection, yep. immediately <laughs> bought that. Um, <laughs> put that under my clothes just so I can have a, a second day of like knowing that I was going to be like falling a lot and not feeling those bruises. So, but, um, but also like, I love it. I, I also started in college. Um, I was in a fraternity. They did like a bus trip to Tennessee and, um, just from there, absolutely fell in love, and and I've been doing it at least once a year ever since. Is there skiing in Tennessee? There is a place called Gatlingburg okay. uh, that yep. is a, a very baby mountain. Um, that's kind of embarrassing when you've gone to like a real place, but <laughs> uh, but that was literally the, the first time I had I experienced like snow and and uh, and being able to jump on a snowboard. Uh, you spend like twenty minutes in line and two minutes going yeah. down, <laughs> kind of like yeah, Six Flags, right, or Disney. You can it's walk up the hill. Foot run. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. All right. So, um, VUCA, how many employees? How, how big is a VUCA? Uh, we're very small, a very small company. We have about from day to day operations, about 10 people. But uh, on any given quarter, we might flex up to about 30 different people that are involved in production uh, and, you know, just uh, QA and quality uh, for all that video content. But uh, we're still small and growing and, and we're a virtual company. We've kind of fared well through the pandemic um, while everyone kind of forced to go home. I mean, we've been uh, we've been a virtual company for, for a couple of years now. So. So how many you know, said operations, how many of those are pharmacists? And I know you guys use pharmacy students as well to help yes. with some of the content. Um, how's that? Going? Yeah. We actually have about uh, about 10 students a month that join us uh, on a virtual rotation and uh, which we did start about a year ago. Um, which actually was crazy because we were able to help a lot of students because they had sites that were canceling on them um, because of the pandemic. So some students were like in jeopardy of graduating. So we were able to whip up a, a virtual uh, virtual rotation for them. So we're at and it's it's kind of continued on. We're taking about 10 students a month. Uh, we have about three, uh, four pharmacists that are involved in creating content uh, with reviewing. And then that also the students are also very um, impactful with making sure that uh, contents being reviewed and, uh, yearly and checked and, and then passed off to the pharmacist for, um, for further QA. So do, do you interact much with the students? Yeah. So I'm like the official preceptor. So like I'm on the weekly calls with them, um, I, which I think is important because I, for them to be able to, I guess, like get a different perspective. And it's funny cause Jeff on our, on our last conversation, we talked about uh, how you were in academia, but it didn't really seem like you might have been, you know, someone that would be in academia. And I'm, I don't think I'm someone that would be the traditional academia person, but these students don't have access to people outside of academia a lot of times. So I want to try to make sure I'm involved as much as possible with their rotation, just to give them the different perspective of like, this is what's going to happen when you graduate. And this is what things are like um, outside of the academic world. Um, so yeah, so I, I do try to interact with them as much as possible. All right, so let's play favorites. Who was your favorite student ever? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I have a favorite student ever. Come on, everybody um, has a favorite. <laughs> there are there are students that I think uh, I I like the ones that ask really good questions, like the the thought provoking questions that like even gets me a, a couple times. That is, those are the ones that I'm like, okay, this is this is this is my favorite student here because the the questions that they're asking. Um, you know, I think from a 
you know, we, we have them submit assignments and do work like that. I mean, th- that seems almost like a commodity at times, but uh, some of the intangibles that start to stand out are the people that I think that ask really good questions. I'm going to shift the hot seat here for a second. So like you said, Jeff was in academia also. Um, something I'm not sure you entirely know, but some of his students now work for him. So who was your uh, favorite? So that would be heavily pressured. That would probably Stephen Culver. Gotcha. He, he really got questions and, and he got the, the whole rounded of the, it's a business problem that we're trying to solve out there. We're, we're trying to create mm-hmm. solutions for people and uh, even got that as a student. So there. It's funny because yeah. I would say this, this rotation is actually a great recruiting tool. Like I'm actually have like a list of people that I'm like, okay, when I'm ready to hire for that particular role, I already have a couple people in mind. Um, so it's, it's actually been great for that, for that purpose as well. So we know when we get ready to hire another pharmacist, we know where to go get our list. And I, I've got a list myself. You've got a list. Yeah. I mean, I hired a couple of really good interns at DeVita and then a couple of people that I've met through, you know, working at trade shows or through other organizations. That's the best part about them. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love hiring interns because you, you know what you're going to get. All right. So now let's, let's do a butterfly effect. So how did you get here? How did you get to VUCA? Yeah. So uh, it's funny. I was a student and interned at VUCA when I was in pharmacy school. So uh, David Medvedev is the original founder of the company and, uh, Back in 2012, 13-ish, when they were just getting started up, they were looking for students to help um, start creating the library of the content. So they sent an email out. I went to University of Florida um, out, out in Orlando, the Orlando campus, and he sent. they sent an email out. Literally four people responded to that email, and I was one of them. And the requirements were you had to be a student, you don't have to read. So I was like, check, like, check that <laughs> box. Um, uh, and then, and you know, the job was you can work from home, you can create content. And I was a student. So I, you say I could, you're telling me I can learn and then you'll pay me to like learn something. Um, it was just a great, a great opportunity for me. And, and that was my introduction into VUCA. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, uh, you know, three years ago, uh, David left to create Aspen and wanted to bring in uh, some, uh, a new team to kind of run the operations, which is how I, I kind of got my role there. But uh, as a student, I was really passionate about community pharmacy uh, in, in pharmacy school. I was uh, I started off with Target. Um, that's where I kind of got my my first kind of official pharmacy job as a as a first year as an intern there. Uh, worked with them until that transition over to CVS, uh, and then I also worked with Publix Pharmacy. But community pharmacy was like a passion for me, and uh, and I started to kind of hone in on patient education, which is which I was an interesting fit for me because. And I was a terrible high school student. Like I, I, did, I mostly did sports. We got the football um, player thing. I was I, w- I played football. Um, I wrestled. Uh, wrestling actually became one of my main sports at some point. Um, but I was very competitive. And but it just the academics thing just wasn't there for me. Barely graduated high school. Let me tell you. Barely got into FIU, which is where I did my undergrad. But when I got to FIU, the the competitiveness shifted over to like saying, okay, this is now the game. The game is is you know getting in becoming a pharmacist, getting into a good school, getting a career. So that because of that game sense and the competition, I mean, kind of drove, um, I, I think drove to where I am now. But the the reason I kind of bring up me being a terrible student is I had I had to make a lot of complicated things very simple, and it took a lot for me to like whether it was physics, whether it was organic chemistry, just figure out ways to like communicate these things simply and effectively. And it started to, what I started to realize was throughout pharmacy school, 
patients that were dealing with health issues were dealing with very complicated situations and they weren't getting the education put to them simply and effectively. And I started to realize that that's my fit. That's exactly where I need to like put my energy towards. And community pharmacy for, for me was, was the best place to do that. And then also kind of coming into VUCA was also a way to kind of like expand on that and make that a, a much farther and greater reach. So um, I think that's kind of the, the kind of different pathways that kind of led me, um, I think led me to VUCA now. Interesting. So some of the, the stuff that VUCA puts out, right, with your, I guess, the counseling companion stuff with like the QR codes, you know, how does that play with, you know, a chain retail pharmacy? You know, I, I, I worked in a chain retail pharmacy and aside from me and a handful of others, there wasn't a lot of counseling going on. Um, was that part of the driver of what you guys are trying to develop as well? Yeah, one thing that we did not want this to be was a replacement of that counseling. Um, we wanted, we did try to, we do try to mimic the counseling. Like we want it to be, uh, uh, when a patient opens a video, we want them to have the feeling of they're talking to a pharmacist. But the goal was never to actually replace that or to serve as the, well, since you're not going to counsel, just give them this video. Um, but what I think one thing that we did realize was important was that trying to counsel patients at a pharmacy or even at discharge, let's say in the health system space, is actually not the best time to try to counsel them. You have to do it obviously legally and you have to still try your best to. But at the end of the day, patients when they're at the pharmacy, they're usually in a rush. Um, they're usually either on their way to work or on their way back home from work. So, um, you know, they're trying to get home. And it's about what sort of education do they have now when they're home and on their own time and when they're most comfortable and ready to consume that, that content and that information. Uh, whenever they want to. And that was the intention. Um, the intention was really to be able to provide education to patients when they needed it um, on their own time in a way that they can simply understand and take um, action on. Does that target more trying to think about what could go wrong or abandonment? When, when you're thinking about making those videos, do you, are you thinking about somebody's getting a drug the first time and, and maybe deciding whether or not they're going to take it and they're going to Google and see they get this side effect and this side effect and this side effect. And they'll be like, um, I'm too young to start taking medication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's kind of spot on. Uh, the goal uh, issues with prescriptions, whether it's adherence, whether it's um, side effects or adverse events, uh, a lot of time the source of that is health literacy and understanding why they're taking it, why it's important to take it the way it's prescribed. So the goal for us is the is I think it's the trying to, to alleviate the what can go wrong when taking it, um, but also try to prevent things that can go wrong if you take it improperly. Yeah. Um, so Josh has been like in his position, deals with a lot of different uh, state pharmacy organizations. And he was bragging on, he was like, one thing I know, Richard's really get, somehow he convinced 50 states to do this. He said, that's a, <laughs> yeah. that's an amazing feat. Yeah. I was like, that, that might be the most impressive thing that VUCA has done is get 50 states board of pharmacy to actually agree on one thing. Yeah. And let me tell you the challenge of that is, uh, it, it took literally, I think seven years. Um, you know, if you start from like the day one, like this is when we're going to do this to, uh, last year, I think we got our last uh, Washington D.C. Technically not a state, but part of that, uh, they have their own their own um, board of pharmacy. Uh, it's a it's a such a long process, um, and and it, the way that we did it was different for every state. You know, some states where uh, we did it through an email, 
some states we had to fly to the actual board of pharmacy meeting with a PowerPoint presentation, um, present, then answer questions, then possibly come back if someone else had like another question. So uh, the the process for that was intense. But um, you know the, the crazy thing is though is that in this day and age it doesn't make sense that uh, pharmacies are required to print paper and hand it to a patient. Um, and what's really interesting too and uh, what also made it a little easier, although, you know, seven years was a lot of work and a lot of time it took to do this, was that most of the regulation actually doesn't say that you have to print paper and hand it to the patient. Most of it actually just says that you have to just give it to the patient or, or make it available to the patient, let's say. So a lot of times we were mostly just saying, hey, we just want you to know that, um, you know, there's new technologies available now and, uh, you know, we're, we're beyond having to use paper for everything. And your regulations actually doesn't, doesn't specifically say that. Um, so that made it easier as well. Uh, I think whoever was drafting, uh, you know, these laws, which a lot of them are kind of copy and paste and use across different boards, um, whoever drafted that for some reason did kind of leave it open to the potential of technology coming into play. But we still wanted to make sure we, you know, um, you know, crossed our T's and dotted our I's and, and went to these boards and make sure we got that confirmation from them. Right. Well, and, you know, and another long time coming thing that it goes is like, a lot of the stuff revolves around a QR code and historically the United States has been poor users of QR codes, right? Like South Korea, everything has got a QR code here, mm -hmm. not so much, but COVID drove that yeah, to a, way better a, an absolute extreme, right? Like everything's got a QR code now. Have you guys seen some uptick on people using and, and scanning the QR codes more frequently now than say a year ago? A year and a yes. half ago. So there has been not only an uptake with utilization from patients, but just more people wanting something like this. Like our customer demand actually grew a little bit um, for people wanting. And and what's, what also made it much more easier for us was our need to not explain how a QR code works. Um, that was a huge barrier for us as well. Um, you know, before the pandemic was one, explaining what a QR code was and then letting them know how it worked was was a challenge. But you're right, um, especially some of the Asian countries, like I visited Japan before and uh, the QR code technology is everywhere over there. And, and you can see how we're behind. And what I think also did us a disservice, um, I don't know if disservice is the right word, but what also just wasn't helpful was that when Apple uh, uh, introduced the QR code technology into their camera, they did it like in secret, borderline. Like mm -hmm. they didn't tell anyone yeah, like one day it just this worked. has been available yeah. for so long. And um, a lot of people didn't know that you can just open up your camera phone, hover it over a QR code, and then the little link pops down. Um, but for some reason, I guess Apple just was not keen on making that like a huge marketing push. So a lot of people didn't even know that they had the uh, the capability of scanning one. Um, uh, so that also made it easier. But yeah, I mean, there's been a huge uptick in not only utilization, but demand for it. And um, and I think it's just easier now that when people go to restaurants, they're used to a QR code for their, you know, for their menu. And now it's slowly becoming the expectation for um, people that are getting their prescriptions. They want, you know, can I get more access to something very easily? And, and the way to do that would be through a QR code. You've got a lot of success in this last year, especially like um, I heard a little bit and saw a little bit of it. Um, you didn't really go post much more than that about your uh, hashtag 10 and 2. Mm -hmm. So, but I did hear about that, uh, how that came about. So would you share that with these two who probably don't know what 10 and 2, hashtag 10 and 2 is? Yeah. So when I was in community pharmacy, I, I had this dream 
and it really started where, and obviously, like, I don't want to get like Martin Luther King here, but like, I had like an actual dream <laughs> <not>? of like, <laughs> I, I just had a dream of myself being torn out of a pharmacy. Like it was, and I think it was like a storm or a torn. I, I don't know what it was, but somehow I was just being ripped out of pharmacy and like out of the actual like physical pharmacy. And it was a dream that I think solidified a lot of, um, a lot of intuition that I had that I wanted to do more in pharmacy. Like I wanted to go beyond just being working at a community pharmacy behind the counter and counseling patients and doing my thing there. I had a lot more that I wanted to do. Um, but one thing I did not have was the time or the resources to do it. So what I did find was uh, the time period between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. was a very productive and, and something I had every single day available to me. Uh, time of four hours to like build things that I'm passionate about, build a brand, start creating content, start learning. And um, so I came up with this thing called hashtag 10 to 2, which is funny because on Twitter, you can actually, if you go to the hashtag 10, 10TO2, you can scroll back years and you see every, like for a period of like years, every night I would post like the update of like, hey guys, I'm here 10 to 2. And every single day, whether I worked nine to nine at a pharmacy, I would, I would, that means I would drive home, get home at 9.30, uh, shower, do my thing. And then at, from 10 to two in the morning, I am working. I'm on the, I'm building a brand. I'm recording a podcast. That's when I started RX radio. Uh, that's when I learned how to write articles on medium. Uh, it's the time that I wrote my first book in, uh, all, all during that 10 to two time was just, but it was every single day, um, for a couple, for a period of years. And I think that was kind of like, you know, a lot of times people might see, for example, going from Publix to, to VUCA. So Publix was my last uh, my last role in community pharmacy. Going from Publix to VUCA, a lot of people would see, well, well that's really interesting. That's like a jump that you made to that. Um, but what people don't realize is that's years of like work culminating to like lead up to that point to for me to actually be able to kind of make that transition seamlessly. So, um, but that hashtag 10 to 2 for me was just the, the time that I put in the work ethic that I knew that was needed um, to kind of like start to like do the things that I really wanted to do. And how's that working out with the toddler? With an infant, not quite a year. So Ten to seven two months. means something totally different now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now it's like, it's, it's luckily though, that prepared me for the end, like being awake. <laughs> so like, I didn't know that I was also training to be awake and alert for when a toddler needs to, uh, uh, needs to be picked up um, from his crib. So uh, it, it's, it's much more difficult now. Um, I'm going to bed because like we're trying to work out, we're still trying to figure out his sleep situation. Um, so like we have different shifts with my wife that I'm trying to figure out. So sometimes I go to sleep like around 12 now, but, and it's kind of shifted to like maybe nine to 12 is when I'm trying to be as productive as possible while she's kind of on her shift. And then I take over at one uh, or between 12 and one to see if I can get him to go to bed. But, um, but it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge. And I, I'm really waiting for the day that he goes back to or he not goes back to he goes to sleep for the whole night. So I can go back to my like regular kind of hashtag 10 to 2 um, because there's still a lot that, needs, that I want to get done. Um, but uh, but it's been a nice break, though. Um, it's been a nice break. And he's been a delight. Um, you know, he's like like the cutest little human that we were able to create. And um, oh, I and saw it's the been pictures. a full head of hair. Yeah, so much uh, hair. We have no idea. So he's and he's an extremely mixed baby. We have no idea like who he looks like. You know, <laughs> uh, my wife is uh, half. Uh, she's half white, half Chinese. Uh, my family's from Trinidad and Tobago, which has like this like other like pot of people that I still don't really know exactly where I'm from technically. Um, 
and we just have no idea like who he looks like, but he's, he's just, he's the cutest little baby. So was he born with a ton of hair or was that like a right away? They're, they're cute. So we don't kill them. That, that's that's true. <laughs> I heard that's, that's like one of the main survival <laughs> yeah. tactics. That yeah. It's a, I always say that, that God made, God made uh babies cute. So we didn't kill them and, and teenagers so that we'd be glad to send them off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, he was born with a good a good chunk of hair. In in a weird, like non scientific way, did your wife have a lot of heartburn while she was pregnant? Um, oh, the wives tell. So it was weird because everybody told because my wife had like crazy heartburn when she was pregnant, and Ellie popped out with like four inch hair. And <laughs> she did. It was she just did, yeah. random. Yeah. Also, I was super impressed with the sonograph people, where they were like. Oh, your baby's got a lot of hair. I'm like, that looks like a blob, man. <laughs> yeah, no, he came out with uh with a with a good head of hair. Um, my both of our mothers, like um my mom and her mom, have really light eyes. Like um, her mom has blue, and my mom has green eyes. So he came now. His eyes are like like a bluish gray. So um, it just adding to like not looking like either my wife or myself. So it's really <laughs> funny. Yep. Hey, so tell us a little bit about your book. You said first book. I thought you only had one book. So tell us, tell us about the yeah. book. So in my mind, because I'm like in the process of writing some others, but um, oh, the yeah. first one, uh, it's called First Time Pharmacist. And it is based, a very short book that is geared towards people that are that have maybe worked in a pharmacy, but just don't have a lot of experience inside of working at a pharmacy. And it has just a little a little a couple nuggets into like just making your your day, your, your quality of life better as as a community pharmacist. And um, for example, one of the things I have in there is uh, how like perception is reality, where uh, if, a, if you're dealing with a patient that is picking up a prescription um, and let's say they want to wait for it, if you tell them come back in 30 minutes um, and, they've, and it's only been 10 minutes, but they feel like it's been 30 minutes, your life is going to be a little difficult potentially. But if you tell them, you know, hey, it'll be ready in 30 minutes, it's five o'clock now. So that means at 530, it'll be ready for you. You set a little bit more expectations around around the reality so even if they come back in 45 minutes, um, uh, a lot of times your quality of life is a lot better there because they, they knew that it wasn't until 5.30 that I was going to be ready. You didn't just give them a 30-minute wait time. So I, I try to throw in little nuggets in there to try to help people just like things that you just didn't learn in school um, and that like typical training working at a pharmacy doesn't usually teach you. Uh, I tried to take some of the years I had under, under my belt in community pharmacy and just put that into a book to to kind of help like new pharmacists and, and even new technicians kind of help navigate and, and better kind of have a, a, a better community pharmacy experience. Like one, one of the things too is like, you know, the whole happy wife, happy life type of things. Uh, I think one of the things I have in there is just like, it just doesn't sound as good, but like happy patient, like happy pharmacy team. Like that's literally how I think you just make your life easier. Like the better relationships you have with your patients, um, the much easier, like if there's a problem that goes on in the pharmacy, uh, like if an order didn't come in or, you know, the refill didn't come in from the doctor, that relationship that you have with the patient will really depend on how they react to those news. So um, just little nuggets like that in that in that first. Okay, book tell there. her by the name of your book. Uh, it's called First Time Pharmacist. Okay, and uh, where can you buy yeah. it? I got on Amazon last night. Amazon. Yeah, you get on Amazon. Um, I think like. That's um, where we cue picture a book. <laughs> Yeah, I downloaded it last night. It's First Pharmacist, Everything You Didn't Learn in School or On the Job Training. Um, and I've, I only got like a, a few chapters in, 
Like I said, I downloaded it last night. What What did you learn? Um, no, it's a it's a good overall kind of expectation of you know you go to work for a big chain like CVS or Walgreens, like you mentioned, and um, and it's just pretty much setting the expectation. Like this quote here: Think about uh, think about this when you're deciding between caring more for your corporation or caring for your patients. Things to keep in mind. Okay, and so so keep in mind. What do you? What does it say about caring more about? Well, I mean, there this particular section kind of dive more that CVS Walgreens don't care about the patients. They care about um, how many scripts can you fill in an hour and how many um, e scripts can you process, and they care more about you know your production time and not so much about the patients. And this segment sponsored by CVS Health. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so easy to fall in that trap when, when, yeah. when you're a public company. You're it's really hard to fall in the trap because every quarter you got to you got to make your numbers. You're going to report how you're doing every three months. You know, it's just a horrible trap. And you know, the value of a smaller business is it's much easier for them to live by. Um, one of my heroes, Zig Ziglar, one of the things he always said is you can have anything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want, right? And and that's the deal. If you can if you can make happy patients, everything else going to come. If you can make happy, healthy patients, you know, that that's why we do the uh, Save and Revitalize Independent Pharmacy because if we can make the pharmacy better, if we can make independent pharmacy better, if we can make them make more money, um, then we do better, right? And we're going to be successful because of it. Right, and, and yeah. a lot of what we do here also kind of around your, your deal of setting expectations we're really big on setting expectations and making sure that there's a realistic chance that we can exceed those expectations. So I, I think it's really smart. You know, like I used to tell patients 15 minutes all the time, but if you don't give them a concept of what that, when 15 minutes is up, you're right. Like it's all about them sitting in your, your small little lobby. Yeah. They might not at look at you. their watch. Looking right. at you every 15 seconds. Right. Yeah. Right. They're just staring at you. Like it's in a box. I can see the box. Where, yeah. Why isn't is it that labeled? my box? Why right. are you doing somebody else's box <laughs> right. instead of my box? <laughs> yeah. I remember seeing a graph once and it was just about like, you know, it, it had like the, the intersecting lines of like expectations versus reality. And like it had a huge impact on happiness. Mm-hmm. And so yep. for me, that's just always been an important um, making sure that you close that gap as much as possible increases your happiness level. So um, just in day to day. But yeah, I mean, back to the corporation thing. I mean, you know, they the thing about corporations is like I, I see them as like a, as an organism that has all these different parts. Like the people at these corporations are genuinely caring people and and have genuinely good um, reasonings behind a lot of the things that they do. And, and I, I work with them now, you know, and, and I realize that, that, but the problem is that when it gets down to the level of like the individual pharmacist, it just, the, there's a, there's a huge disconnect there. And, and pharmacists sometimes at these large corporations feel like they're having to choose between their own sanity, the metrics and um, goals that were set by corporate and actually taking care of the patient. And, and I feel like that, and I feel like when you, when you're put in that position, I think there has to be, you know, a hierarchy of like what you need to put as importance, um, you know, but that definitely changes when you're at a smaller independent. So your second book, let's talk about that one. You said you're writing more. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm very almost done with it, which is why I'll be comfortable talking about it and, and not thinking that it was, it's not anything crazy, but 
in community pharmacy, uh, I think that most training when people are, are onboarded, they get taught what to do. So if you're doing return to stock, it's like, this is what, how you do your return to stock process. Um, this is uh, how to do a refill. This is how to send a fax to the doctor. But what a lot doesn't happen is the whys behind it all. And I feel like the whys behind why you're doing things in the pharmacy, I think is, is greatly lacking in training for people that just come on. So for me, the, the next book is going to be about, this is the why you're doing this process. Um, which is going to be essentially every single pharmacy almost all the time has basically all the same processes. They do them differently, but the whys behind them are almost always the same. So it's basically going to be like a book of someone that's never stepped foot in the pharmacy, um, uh, which the goal is going to be someone to be able to hand that to their new technician or to their new pharmacy staff member and say like, you know, here's a short book as to why we do a lot of things that we do. And then we're going to eventually you're going to learn how to do them. Nice. So, so what's next for VUCA? So for VUCA, we are trying to figure out ways to get innovative with our content. Um, right now, we have basically created um, almost 95% of medications that typically get dispensed at a community pharmacy. Actually, we have a specific video for that all the way down to the NDC level. But we want to, we want to start expanding that. We want to start going into compounding medications um, because there's a huge opportunity there with uh, educating people about medications that are created specifically for them. And while that, that is, the, that's a challenge all in itself to create a video for that one person. But, um, but our goal is to try to get as close to possible as creating videos that can reach, um, a certain set of people that are receiving compounded medications, uh, medications like, uh, people that are taking care of pets and animals. Um, we want to get in the veterinary space. Uh, we have, we don't really have any video content there. So for us, it's really about making sure we can innovate on our content, um, and starting to, help the people that are still like, like kind of left lost with like education and loss of where to find that education, uh, trying to be able to educate them on helping them be caregivers for themselves or for their pets. So I'm as, as a person who has multiple pets and has delivered medications to multiple pets, what do you see that video look like? Are you talking about, because dosing's different, obviously mm -hmm. you know, how you know, wrapping it in peanut butter is not always a great option. So like what kind of things would you think about in terms of making a video for a dog or something like that? Well, obviously the dog is not going to watch the video. So right, right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but you can do a filter and yeah. look like a dog's doing the video. I mean, my dog might actually watch the video. My, <laughs> dog's my cat super, would for sure. My dog's super lazy and loves sitting on the couch watching TV. So That's my cat. Yeah, I think there's uh, whether it's being able to give a specific dose, which we've already, we've already looked at, like bringing in actual animals to like the studio and, and doing things like that. But whether it's teaching them how to like some tips and tricks on how to give doses, but I think just educating them on like what to expect, um, you know, what the medication that they're actually giving, because a lot of times people want to know, like, what am I giving my animal? Like, what is this actually going to do to them? Right. Um, you know, how how harmful is it going to be to them? So uh, it's really very similar to people taking medications for humans. Um, it's really just about educating them around all the different aspects that come along with actually um, someone or, or an animal taking a medication, which is why are they taking it? What can you expect in terms of side effects potentially? Um, what are some serious things to look out for and take action on if you actually see that thing? Um, and then tips and tricks on how to administer it properly. I had a dog with an osteosarcoma, which is a, basically a, a tumor in his, his femur. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, giving them medications like, you know, giving your dog Benadryl, Okay, it's easy. Doesn't really do a whole lot. 
but like delivering like really crazy medications like dogs show pain differently they do all kinds of other stuff so it's it's interesting to see how that i'll be playing around with that as soon as it's available so yeah a lot of community a lot of community pharmacies Mm -hmm. are getting into doing more pet meds and you know there's a lot of training programs now for pharmacists on pet meds and things like that so yeah, we got access to the Plums, um, you know, uh, library that is really helpful for pharmacists. So we're we're really going to try to go down that route and try to make sure we have that video content available for them. Um, you know, and in addition to the 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 content side of things, from a technology perspective, one thing I'm really passionate about is the voice space. Um, I think over the last year, you know, obviously a lot of things have changed and a lot of projects and traction got diverted to you know making sure people can retain their current kind of businesses and things like that, but. Voice, I think, is a, is a space that's heavily kind of was was catching a lot of traction prior to the pandemic. And I do believe is going to start to catch traction again um, as things kind of move back into normal where people are going to start expecting using Siri, uh, the Apple Home or Alexa or, or Google Home where they can ask it, you know, hey, um, refill, please refill my inhaler. And, you know, on the back end, that's going to have some connections back to Pioneer to say, hey, um, you know, this this, medic- this patient wants his medication refilled. Uh, but in addition to that, I think they're going to start to ask, hey, can you tell me more about that inhaler I just picked up? So our, we want to have a, eventually our content to be able to be played on these devices, um, whether it's just the audio itself or whether it's an Echo Show device, which has a screen um, that's all voice activated, but still has a screen on there. We want to be able to have our video content be able to be played on that. So um, in terms of what's next for us is just making sure that we can have the technology and infrastructure in place to have content ready on these new devices that are starting to become um, a lot more prevalent. Yeah. The, the worry about the Lex app is that you're helping. <laughs> that, that, uh, yeah. That one day you, they say, uh, Hey, order my uh, inhaler, Alexa. And she says, Hey, did you know you can get that from Amazon for in only two days? Well, that's where the branding and the relationships come into play. Um, and that's where I think independents are really going to shine because they're going to say, no, I don't want to get it from Amazon. I want to get it from, you know, um, Hobbs Pharmacy. So, you know, I think that's where the importance of the branding and the marketing is going to really have to have to shine. Um, because I do think similar to like, even if Apple wanted to do things like that, I mean, I, I still think even though these these companies create their own products, I think they're still vehicles of access. And I think that's where brands are able to shine um, by utilizing these vehicles of access um, to get access to their brands. So um, so I hope, you know, community pharmacies will be able to um, market themselves and be able to like, you know, fight that sort of, um, you know, bigger players kind of coming in and trying to steal that market share. So I'm going to bounce back to the uh, hashtag 10 to 2. That's where you um, started your podcast, got the idea for that. Um, what made you start a podcast? So very similar to me wanting to do more. I also realized I, I did not know a lot. And I, in pharmacy school, most of the exposure I had was either to community pharmacy and to health system pharmacy and like residencies and things like that. And, um, you know, sometimes schools try to do a good job with having like panels of people to try to expose you to the differences. But the panel is basically filled with community pharmacists and people that are working in a hospital. And um, I just knew that there was a lot more going on out there, and I just, but I just didn't know. And at the time, podcasts were kind of becoming a lot more prevalent. And um, I'm a, I consider myself a people person. I like to communicate. I like to talk. So I'm like, how hard is it to actually start a podcast? Um, but then I also realized how much leverage comes with that and, and my ability to now send a message on LinkedIn or a DM to someone say, um, 
hey, I want to learn about, you know, what you're doing. Would you like to be, you know, a guest on my show? And it just made that friction almost non-existent. And it just allowed me to start exploring. It was, it was very selfish, honestly, but it allowed me to start exploring um, other industries and, and what else people were doing out there. But I realized that, you know, and a lot of things happen, a lot of great companies and, and ideas and things like that happen when someone's kind of scratching their own itch and just trying to do something that they would have loved to have. It ends up being something great for a community of people um, or, or great for an industry. So um, luckily, you know, with the distribution um, methods available out there, I was able to, you know, put this out in the open. And um, but the goal was really to learn about and, ex- and, and try to understand how people got to where they were. Um, understand w- what kind of roles pharmacists are now starting to have out in the industry, out in healthcare, that is just not really talked about or taught about um, in school. And um, and it's it's been it's been a great journey. I mean, it's kind of crazy now that I, I think I started in 2017. So I'm starting to, to get feedback from students now that were their students now in pharmacy school, but they had listened to the RX radio before even thinking about becoming a pharmacist. So it's kind of cool now, kind of seeing some of these things kind of come back full circle where People, whereas like I, myself included, before t- wanted to go into pharmacy because they knew it was a stable job, you know, it was a good salary and things like that. But now people are coming into it from a passion perspective because they want to have, they want to be an oncology, oncology pharmacist, or they want to work in emergency medicine. Um, so having like a something that is central that people can go and like learn about all these different ways pharmacists are having a role. Um, has been has been awesome, and that's really why I started it for my own kind of like understanding. But uh, but it's now being able to help a lot of people, and 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 now it's also turning into something that's helping if someone's working on something, or you know, hopefully one day when uh, uh, Pioneer launches something new, we want to come on and talk about it. You know, it's it's a just way to help out partners and um, and get some exposure there and, and get the word out on certain uh, initiatives and, and engagements that people are working on. It's definitely some new outlets for for marketing. That's for sure. So, yeah. so it's RX Radio. They can listen to it on where Spotify, Apple. Yeah, any of their favorite uh, podcasting platforms. You can find it uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, uh, Overcast, um, all those main players. Uh, you can you can listen to it there. Any uh, any thought? I think I asked you this already, but I'm gonna ask you again. Any thought about going video? What do you what do you think about video versus? Honestly, non- I I do want to start doing video. Um, I think which there's a a new platform I I bought. It's like called Ecamm or something. It's supposed to make it really easy to like just send someone a link and create um, you know video experiences. The goal for me is is to start doing more video, um, especially as I start to now think about like it's time to probably start growing a team and getting uh, people to start helping with editing and things like that. Uh, I think uh, people are going to start to see uh, a lot more of uh, a lot more of my face. Nice. Yeah. I, I make no claims whatsoever to be interesting, and in fact, most of the time that's <laughs> not true. But like. I've done a couple where like, you know, we've done a few podcasts now we're on video and then I've done a couple where you just like call in or do whatever. And I, I, I guarantee you I'm at least twice as boring on without a video. <laughs> yeah. Well, see on the, on the radio, you have to work on your, you know, uh, Mark does a Mark Bivens. He does a very good job of right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and a lot of my <laughs> feedback when I'm having a conversation with somebody is, is purely body, right? I'm nodding. RM looking stuff like that. There's none of that on the radio. So if it's radio only, you really got to work on translating that feedback uh, when somebody's talking into into some other form. Um, yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned that because I 
I'm very keen on reading body language. Like even when I do talks like on, on a stage or if like I'm talking at a school or an event, I actually hate when like all the lights are off because that means I can't see the people. So I like when it's like a, a well-lit room because I like to read people's interactions and things like that when I'm speaking. And, and I've, I've realized that like I've actually make it hard on myself when I'm just doing a phone call um, and trying to kind of lead that conversation and, and, and rely on the feedback from the other person. But um, yeah, I hope that I hope that with that video, it, it will actually make some of the conversations a lot better um, because we'll be able to like, kind of have that like, you know, visual feedback and things like that. But um, yeah, the chemistry uh, will be better, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think we've seen that with the pandemic and and Zoom and everything taken off. And now it's like somebody was on a call yesterday and one of the guys didn't have his camera on. And I was like, hey, so-and-so, your camera's not on. He was like, uh-huh. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it was a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was that guy. But yeah. hey, I was totally comfortable saying, "Oh, you forgot to turn your camera on." He was like, "Yeah, yeah." You know, you know. He's like, "I didn't forget." Of, you know, like this issue. You know, like when sometimes you like, like outside of the business world, right? Because obviously the business world, everyone goes in for a handshake. But like, on a prior to pandemic, but you know, sometimes like you go in for like a shake, and like someone comes in with like a fist bump, and you're like. And sometimes you're not, or like when you're walking and like you're not sure like which someone's direction someone's going, it's like the exact same problem when you're putting on a Zoom call. It's like, we're gonna have video on, no video. And then you turn on your video and then maybe their video is not on or something like that. And then like you're on and off video. So it's it's, it, it's a fun problem. <laughs> it has been awkward. No, I'm very, yeah. I, you know, I, you know, I've always been video. Well, and, and pre pandemic. I'm always one. I'd rather go sit down in somebody's office and talk to them rather than I would pick. I would never pick up the phone. I don't know that I've ever picked up the phone and called somebody at work, period. Nope. It was it was Slack, and then it moved to... It was, well, no, it it was, was Skype, uh, then Skype. Slack. Skype. Slack. That's right. Yeah. It was Skype first, and then it There's moved some to more. Slack. And me, me personally, if you can't see my face, a lot of times you think I'm mad or just a, it's that. It, I don't do that. Right. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, I don't none of that going on, right? Or are giggling, you know, some people are good about laughing every ten words or so to show, hey, I'm I'm really cool. I actually am paying attention. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cool and I'm paying attention yeah. and I'm relaxed. Everything's okay. So how many how many podcasts have you done? Uh the last episode was hundred and nine. Nice. Wow. Good job. hundred and nine. Yeah. Um, I'm with obviously my son coming in, the, I used to do it like once a week and then once like once a month. Now it's kind of, uh, trying to catch back up, but, um, yeah, I remember episode zero, you know, I think I had like seven listens and I think three Who, what of those was that? What mom. was episode zero? Was it episode just you? Zero was like, this is me. Like, Hey everyone, I, I want to do a podcast. And yeah, it was just, it was just me, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like introducing, like, saying what I wanted. Well, Richard, what do you, <laughs> Well, here's so, a, well, <laughs> so have you what, gone back to listen to episode? Yeah, I have. The first? I was about to say that I have, and it's kind of crazy how consistent I've been. Really, um, with okay. like what the goal was and the kind of what it kind of turned into. Um, See, I look back and, at stuff I did last year, and I'm like, man, I was stupid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just cringe at like last week. <laughs> yes, yeah, like wow, I'm I'm glad I've come from there, but that's nice. You've been consistent. Yeah, yeah, it's been great, and and I hope to continue it. You know, and um. It's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's a lot of fun. And so, outside of me, so we don't make this weird. What was your favorite podcast you've done so far? <laughs> so, um, I, I had a lot of. Uh, there's so much interesting topics that have been covered, but I think from a perspective of like an interesting topic versus a kind of chemistry, which is funny because there was only audio. But um, I connected really well with the uh, the episode on the nuclear pharmacy, 
Um, it was a topic that I was just super curious about, had no idea what nuclear pharmacy was. And the person on the other phone was, um, she was very charismatic. We just clicked and it was just an awesome conversation. And I got to learn a lot from it. Um, so, and, and I hope that, you know, listeners kind of felt that way as well, but, uh, I would have to say the nuclear pharmacy episode. So for our listeners who don't know what that is, what's nuclear pharmacy? So nuclear pharmacy is, um, I'm not even sure. Like I, I would probably say you should go listen to that episode <laughs> because <laughs> I, while I still are trying to like, there's still so much complications around what nuclear pharmacy is, but it's basically, you know, high reactive chemicals that um, pharmacists have to um, prepare and and um, and get ready to dispense to a patient, something like um, chemotherapy um, or something that was like radioactive or something like that, that uh, it requires a lot of um, safety guards in place when you're handling the medication. So picture someone that's like, you know, I don't want to say spacesuit, but picture someone that's almost like working almost in, in a spacesuit, like with the with the heavy like artillery gloves, a huge screen in front of them. Um, and they're having to kind of uh, remove medication from a vial, put it in a in a um, something to dispense in. Um, sometimes that's a pill, sometimes it's a liquid. So, uh, but it's basically uh, you know uh, medications that are, are radioactive or harmful. Um, if if you were like to either like inhale it or touch it with like your bare hands or something like that. Um, essentially, I guess that's like a in a nutshell kind of what nuclear pharmacy is, but. I would highly recommend someone go listen to that episode to get like a full understanding. I hope it pays really well because other than that, it'd be like, yeah, I don't think so. It pays pays really well. The hours are really cool too. They work like 11 p.m. to like 5 a.m. because most of the time for procedures for nuclear pharmacy, they're done first thing in the morning. So like if you ever have like a PET scan or something like that, they inject a small amount of radioactive dye. That's compounded by a nuclear pharmacist typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 11 a.m. to 5, 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. would not be the time I would want to be doing something dangerous. Well, I mean, you're doing like six hours of work and then, but yeah, why, I mean, they're, they're regulated. Shit? Yeah, oh yeah, it's, the the couple of times I worked overnights at Walgreens, it was They say really bad. though, human beings never adjust to that because right. the, the light, the circadian or. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard. Whatever. I mean, I, maybe you could have lighting where you were doing that, but um, yeah, I don't think that, I'd ever adjust to it. Yeah, that was that was Mark's shift in the military. That was his preferred shift was the nighttime. Yeah, so why going he, going in at eleven and then getting off at seven a.m. Like like Richard, my my jam time is like nine p.m. to about two a.m. You're so productive during that time. Yeah. I don't know what it is because nobody else is around to bother you. True story. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm in bed by nine. Yeah. <laughs> now, there was a time, I, probably younger um, me, I was probably up to midnight. Everybody else was in sleep. And that's when the kids were home and you're, there was a lot more chaos, I would stay up later and sleep later. Now my time when everybody leaves me alone is like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. And, yeah. You know, nice. I own it. I own yeah, it all. I have, I've never been functional at like four or five in the morning. Like when, I guess about five years ago before we had our kid, my wife wanted to do like this 5.30 a.m. like cardio kickboxing class. And I was like, yeah, I'll take a couple. It wrecked my week. Huh. <laughs> like I was done. I, I, you work out at 10 o'clock at night, no problem. 5.30 in the morning, I'm done. Can't do it. I'm starting to get on that rotation. The 5.30 workout or the 10 o'clock workout? No, working, getting up and working out at 5 in the morning. Yeah. This is, and I wonder what makes the difference. You know, some people yeah. are like, you know, I work out in the morning. I'm I'm better charged for the day. I have more energy. I have more focus. I don't know if it's my 10 to 2 thing, but I, no shot. You're getting me to do anything before 7 in the morning. Yeah. yeah. 
No well, when you're doing your 10 and 2 and being at work by 9, I'm wondering what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're like, okay, yeah, I just drug myself out of bed at 8.50. Uh, <laughs> Mainlining <Close>. Red Bull. <laughs> Pretty close. Right around the corner. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're uh, we're out we're of time. At our hour. Oh, it really flew by. Um, no. Yeah, so thank you for spending some time with us today. Uh, it was great getting to know you better on a podcast I had with, with you. And uh, great having you on here. Looking forward to getting to see you in person when the pandemic's over. Uh, we won't have our connect, our connect show won't happen this year. It'll be next year. But uh, maybe you can come see that, and maybe we'll see a couple. You go to NACDS and some of the things like that, some of those shows? I do. Yeah. I do, and I, and I haven't missed a Connect, uh, a Pioneer Connect um, for the last three years. So uh, definitely looking forward to, to seeing everyone. It sucks. I, you know, I would have probably seen you all at least a couple times already in yep. last year. Yep. But um, uh, and, and thank you all so much for having me on. I really do appreciate it. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yep, and thank you for working with us on the VUCA product. It was exciting to put that in all our pharmacies. Uh, we just turned off no telling, turned off MedGuide's. Uh, automatic printing for everybody, you no know, telling how much money we've saved pharmacy just in printing paper that people would throw away and uh, going to continue yeah. with, with experimenting with different methods to try to get patients more educated right, and just get that delivered to everybody. Yep. So thank you for that. Yeah. And, and uh, looking forward to what we might do together in the future. Likewise, likewise, appreciate the partnership and, you know, it's just crazy to think how much, uh, workflow and paper savings that's happening across the country and um, we're hoping that this becomes a standard and, and i think pioneers leading the way in that so we appreciate it yep all right well thank you thank you for watching the catalyst podcast if you enjoyed this episode please consider liking subscribing and or following us give us a five-star rating on apple podcasts to help us reach more amazing pharmacy people like you follow pioneer rx on your preferred social media platform for the latest up-to-date pharmacy news and content